0: Hello and welcome on behalf of CME Outfitters. I would like to welcome and thank you for joining us for the first in a series of four CMEO Snacks titled Groundbroken, Novel Therapies to Manage Idiopathic Hypersomnia. This CMEO snack series is supported by an independent medical education grant from Jazz Pharmaceuticals. I'm Dr. Richard Bogan. I'm Associate Clinical Professor at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Columbia, South Carolina, and also the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston and Principal of Bogan Sleep Consultants, LLC in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Anne-Marie Morse.
1: Hi, I'm Anne-Marie Morse. I'm an Associate Professor with Geisinger Commonwealth School of Medicine, as well as a Director of the Child Neurology and Pediatric Sleep Medicine Programs at Geisinger Janet Weiss Children's Hospital in Danville, Pennsylvania.
0: Thank you, Dr. Morris. It's great to have you here today. I know you have a lot of experience. And to frame this discussion today, let me review our learning objective. Our goal is that after this CME snack, you'll be able to utilize the latest efficacy and safety data to integrate novel therapies into clinical practice to mitigate the impact of idiopathic hypersomnia or IH. A good way to set the scene for this is Now, for this activity, is to touch briefly on modafinil, a treatment that historically has been used in idiopathic hypersomnia for quite some time. In fact, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine guidelines have indicated that this may be efficacious. So even though it is off-label for IH, Dr. Morris, can you tell the audience a a little bit more about this particular treatment option?
1: Sure, thank you so much. Well, I think it's really important to recognize that this is a disorder that we do see in our clinics and many times are trying to distinguish from a condition called narcolepsy. Now, the challenge that has existed for many years is the fact that we had zero FDA-approved medications for the treatment of idiopathic hypersomnia until recently. And so therefore, many times we're using strategies that were similar to trying to manage narcolepsy and applying them to idiopathic hypersomnia. So when looking at the use of medications daffinil, we know that this falls into the category of alerting agents, meaning that it's a medication that is working on the brain to help in promoting wakefulness. Most typically, we think about it through its mechanism of really enhancing the amount of dopamine that's available in the brain, likely through an inhibitory mechanism of reuptake. Now, with that stated, when we're using idiopathic hypersomnia, frequently we're using doses up to 200 milligrams. In certain situations, there may be dosing even more than that. It's important to recognize there are some limitations that you do need to be mindful about when utilizing this medication. Number one, you can encounter some adverse effects that we see with many of the alerting agents, including things like headache, nausea, decreased appetite, even potentially weight loss. In some patients, there may be some exaggeration of pre-existing anxiety or even treatment emergent anxiety. So it is important to monitor for those things. And then finally, I think one of the things that has emerged in the literature most recently is to be very mindful of the effects that this can have, particularly in women. And the reason I think this is important, especially in idiopathic hypersomnia, is because we are identifying that women are more likely to potentially experience idiopathic hypersomnia. What do I mean by that? Well, with modafinil, number one, it can negatively affect how your body utilizes oral contraceptives, meaning that the hormone therapies may be less effective when utilizing it with modafinil. In addition, recent literature has demonstrated that in pregnancy, up to 13 to 15% of women who were taking modafinil had teratogenic effects in their children. And so it is important to be extraordinarily mindful when you're dealing with management in women who are reproductive age.
0: Yeah, thank you for that discussion, and the FDA-approved you know, FDA dose, as you know, is up to 400 milligrams in narcolepsy patients, so um obviously, we dose to response and tolerance, so I appreciate that discussion. What about patolosat? Uh, it's been used off-label for IH. It is approved for narcolepsy, and is currently being studied in IH, and in fact, um this phase three trial is ongoing, and hopefully... We'll see some results by the end of the year. Can you discuss Patolasan
1: Sure. So it's always exciting to see that there's increasing number of medication options that are actually having structured study applied to them to really dig into understanding whether or not they are great solutions for the disorder that we're treating. So as mentioned earlier, very frequently used strategies that we've applied and have been approved in narcolepsy and apply them to idiopathic hypersomnia. Pitolescent is no different. When we look at pitolescent, some of the unique things about it is that it has a novel mechanism of action. There are no other drugs on the market that have the same type of mechanism of action. So this works through the histamine system, through both an antagonist and inverse antagonist mechanism, enhancing the amount of histamine that is living in that synaptic cleft, making it more likely to cause a neurotransmission to promote wakefulness likely having downstream effects on other weight-promoting neurotransmitters as well. Now, with that stated, it makes a great utility player utilizing it in combination with other meds. However, things you need to be mindful about is the fact that this does have a lot of drug-drug interactions that you need to consider because of the cytochrome pathways that it incurs. Very frequently when I'm educating my my residents and fellows, I'll tell them to just make sure that they're checking through a drug-drug interaction tool in order to make sure that they're applying safe mechanisms In addition, you will want to obtain an EKG before utilizing this medication because in individuals who have a prolonged QT interval, um, this can potentially exaggerate it. And then finally, similar to modafinil, it can impact the efficacy of hormonal therapies. And so therefore, you'll want to be mindful. Because it's a younger drug in the market, we don't have the data around um, uh, what its safety is in pregnancy. And again, something that you will want to be mindful of.
0: I think that's a good point. You know, metabolized through the 2D6 system. So some of our patients are on antidepressants that can have some impact in terms of increasing drug exposure related to that QT interval. Um, Now let's consider sodium oxibate. It's really the first and only drug currently approved by the FDA for the treatment of idiopathic hypersomnia. And as you pointed out, these folks with idiopathic hypersomnia have terrible sleep inertia. I mean, they really have a hard time waking up, and they're so foggy and sleepy throughout the day, and they're always wanting to nap, and they take these long naps that are not effective. Um, So talk to us a little bit about uh, low-sodium oxabate, and we're going to come back to that sleep inertia later on.
1: Sure. So when we're talking about lower sodium oxabate, we're talking about calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium oxabate, a medication that has 131 milligrams of sodium in a 9-gram dose. Now, when this drug was initially being considered, I think many of us in the field were going, this seems so counterintuitive, using a medication that's going to make you go to sleep in someone who potentially may be sleeping 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a night. Well, there definitely was um, uh, the evidence that demonstrated that this clearly was quite an effective medication. This was a drug that is the only medication that is FDA approved for the treatment of idiopathic hypersomnia. We will discuss a little bit in regards to the study and the design of the study that had demonstrated the efficacy. What's interesting about the efficacy of this medication in idiopathic hypersomnia is that it's far-reaching. It not only treats the excessive daytime sleepiness that these patients experience, but also addresses the sleep inertia, the total sleep time duration, the brain symptoms. And this was demonstrated through significant changes seen in the idiopathic hypersomnia severity scale, a scale that looks at a multidimensional approach to the symptoms that individuals with idiopathic hypersomnia may experience. Now, with every medication, we do want to be mindful of what the potential risks are in utilizing this medication. So, first and foremost, this is a CNF depressant, so it is available through a REMS program or risk evaluation mitigation strategy program, which you as a provider and the patient both need to be enrolled in. This is to ensure the highest degree of safety for both you and the patient. In addition to that, this Study design had demonstrated that although typically formulated as a twice-nightly utilization, efficacy was seen with once-nightly dosing in doses up to six grams. And as we had already mentioned, this does have the added value of having a reduced amount of sodium for your patient.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a phenomenal review. Yeah. I think, um, you know, your, your work on asymmetric dosing and up to six grams in one dose I mean, these are novel aspects of this particular molecule. And you alluded to the, to the phase three trial and some of the outcomes data. Can you talk about the upward score and um, in particular, and then we'll talk about sleep inertia?
1: Sure. So when we're talking about the Epworth sleepiness scale, I think many of us are very familiar with it because it's really become a standard scale that we use in a variety of practices, not just in the sleep clinics, but very frequently even being encountered in primary care practices. This is a scale that asks about eight different sedentary activities and your propensity to do. So that's difficulty of being able to maintain wakefulness. This is scored between zero and 24 points, where greater than 10 is abnormal. When looking at how this study was designed, this was a double-blind randomized withdrawal trial, meaning that everyone who entered the trial had the opportunity to be on the medication and be optimized on that medication. With this study design, they did use an enrichment strategy, meaning that those who entered the double-blind randomized withdrawal period had to be a responder with this medication. So as you can see, when you went into this double-blind randomized withdrawal period, those who were maintained on low sodium oxabate, maintain that same substantial improvement in their Epworth sleepiness scale, being around 6 to 7 points, again, greater than 10 is being abnormal, where those who were randomized to placebo had a significant worsening, where their Epworth then again became pathologic, increasing to about 13.3. Yeah,
0: it's really um, it's interesting to see that Epworth score change that much, <laughs> Um I mean, we're, we're always frustrated when we treat our patients and see that much change. That's pretty impressive in these registry trials. Um, the sleep inertia, I mean, these folks really bitterly complain about their, their difficulty awakening. And now we have some more recent published data specifically looking at sleep inertia and low sodium oxybate. Can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. You're 100% correct that patients with idiopathic hypersomnia very frequently describe that this is such a troublesome symptom. In fact, this is a symptom that even makes them try to avoid napping during the day because waking up is such a chore. They will frequently describe that they never feel restored from their sleep. But even when trying to wake, it is hitting that alarm clock 42 times and in some cases even having extreme behaviors like confusion and combativeness and even looking like they're drunk. And so when thinking about the symptom and how disabling it is, it is an important one to see, do we make a change with it? And lo and behold, we do see that. So when evaluating the effects of low sodium oxidate on idiopathic hypersomnia, we do see that it is hitting all of the points that patients describe as being a challenge. We're seeing here that there's improvements in the upward sleepiness scale, showing that there's improvement in excessive daytime sleepiness. The idiopathic hypersomnia severity scale, where there is a significant reduction demonstrating overall value. And then finally, the visual analog scale of sleep inertia and demonstrating that across patients who were experiencing the use of low sodium oxabate, that that was greatly improved, leading to an easier ability to get up and start their day. I
0: mean, that's phenomenal data. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Morris. We, We We could talk all day. (laughs) I think this has been great information, which we can use clinically, and I hope everyone in the audience learned a lot today. Let's summarize with our SMART goals, which are specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. That is what we hope our audience will take away from this presentation and apply to your practice. We want you to differentiate between on- and off-label treatments for idiopathic hypersomnia, when considering treatment options during patient encounters and apply clinical considerations of different current and emerging therapies when creating treatment plans for patients with idiopathic hypersomnia and utilize some of this newly presented data from phase 3 clinical trials in clinical decisions for patients suffering from idiopathic hypersomnia and sleep inertia so this CMEO snack is one of a four part series we hope that you'll take advantage of all of the short and focused activities in the series. For a number of resources, visit the CMEO Sleep Disorders Education Hub and Virtual Education Hub. To receive CME CE credit for today's program, complete the post-test and evaluation, and you will be able to download and print your certificate immediately upon completion. So again, um, Dr. Anne-Marie Morse. Thank you very much for joining us today and giving us really an erudite presentation of this information. Thank you. And thank you all to our audience for participating and
1: providing the best care for your patients. Good day.